big story has to be the story of humanity, how we got here, the very persistence of humanity. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. My name is Tristan Boyle and I'm here from the Anarchaeologist podcast and today I'm talking to Rena Maguire. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, it's a wonderfully bland day today, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is indeed. <laughs> um, but uh, lovely bright cold day. Oh, I know. Just before I head off on research trips as well. Oh, lovely, lovely. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? You're here, at the, you're based here at Queen's then? I am indeed. Uh, what do you do? Well, full-time PhD. Um, at this moment in time, uh, the PhD that I'm doing, which is equestrianism in the Iron Age, uh, sort of came as a bit of a roundabout journey. Um, I'm a mature student, uh, came over here, was given the advice uh, that uh, whenever I was doing my undergrad degree, um, as a moldy oldie, that I should uh, be doing something that whenever I look back in the future, I wouldn't go, I never want to do that again. Uh, so I was told as well by the Divine Valerie Hall, um, goddess herself here, uh, who uh, is involved with tephrochronology and many, many other things, and uh, botany, and uh, she had said, do what you love. So I decided I would deal with horse harness. Looked actually in the NMI at the infamous... Y-shaped leading tendons, as they call them. Um, now, probably mostly called Y-pieces. Uh, they did my BA and that, worked out exactly... It was very clear to me exactly, because I come from a very a very horsey background, exactly what they were. Um, and uh, it was a case of using that as a working hypothesis. And everything sort of fell in very, very quickly. Uh, came out of that with particularly fine qualification. And... Uh, was then decided I'd take on a master's. Dealt from the master's side still actually within an Iron Age landscape. Very controversial one actually, the landscape around Plakta, the Hell of Ward, yeah. that UCD are doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yep, you're aware of that with the child burial and all the rest of it. And uh, then after that, uh, was in the middle of that and was offered a funded PhD, taking up where the BA sort of left off, all the questions that it had raised. And that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> that sounds really wonderful. I mean, so, um, I mean, before you were doing all of this, I mean, uh, I mean, what was your, what is your, what was your opinion of archaeology then, as opposed to now? I mean, were you always kind of on the path to archaeology, or was this a kind of wow? Okay, I've, oh, this is what I like. I think. I didn't know it, but I think I was on a path to archaeology. <laughs> it's like the unknown path. Um, but uh, I had worked initially as a, a, a formulation chemist with a very large company in England and then drifted actually into a combination of radio presenting and music PR, sort of going side by side with each other. And uh, it was really no job for a grown woman. And the older you get, you say, you know, hmm. So I was in a big bike accident uh, about six, seven years ago. 
And whenever I was basically lying about and not being able to move a lot, I thought, Do you know, I could be tired on that road. So I thought to myself, that's it. I am going out. I'm going to go back and do uh, my second degree, which is this time I'm not going to let anybody, my father or anybody else, talk me out of archaeology because I'd originally wanted to do archaeology way back in the day. And uh, I said, right, that's, uh, I'm going to do this. So I did. Um, and the rest is the same. They can't get rid of me now. So you, you did chemistry? I did. So you're an archaeochemist like me? No, actually, I went for my <laughs> master's. I went oh. to, needless to say, for my master's, mm-hmm. I went into the pollen side. Uh. And I also dealt with, um, uh, what do you call it, ITRAX. Okay, yeah, yeah. Pollution studies. All right. Um, yeah. I'm really, really very interested in the whole metal side. And I've been incredibly lucky with both the supervisors. Um, I've got Dirk Brandherm, uh, of course, from European Metal Side. And I've also got a very good friend, the infamous BG Scott, Brian Scott. He'll be very familiar with um, as a good mate as well. So I can't lose. (laughs) No, exactly. And I mean, so what do you, um, how do you feel it's kind of, how do you feel research is here in the department? Do you get a chance to talk to other people, work with other people? How's that collaboration with archaeology? Do you get to work with lots and lots of people from other around the world? I have indeed. Um, And last year just seemed to be non-stop travelling. I'd say that my dog initially didn't recognise me, you know, for quite a substantial part of the end of last year. Um, And it's going to get as bad now with this. Uh, But you do actually, it's the collaboration side of around the world that I do enjoy uh, very, very much. Um, Here we've got a limited amount of prehistorians, and I think especially what I'm doing is quite heretical and... Uh, there aren't a lot of people actually in that line. So I do have to actually deal with people, and I've met wonderful people, Um, a lot of people down from UCD, oddly enough, um, who have been incredible in teaching bone and uh, osteo and lots of other things that all feed into this. Uh, So it's great, you know. So I'm just um, picking up on, you know, you haven't done a lot of other things before archaeology, but, I mean, how have those kind of influenced the way you do archaeology? I mean, archaeology is kind of like, I've heard it termed a magpie subject. It picks from other things. What have you found that's been quite easy for you to do in archaeology because of the things you've done before? Organise. Yeah? Quite as simple as that. Um, I think that as a parent, as a professional who has been the boss in her previous jobs, um Yes, I'm opinionated, yes, and all the rest of it, but I get things done. Um, and I find sometimes the whole idea of uh, the very young sometimes are afraid to take the big chances and say, oh, well, I reckon I've made a fool of myself umpteen times in my life. If I make a fool of myself and make a mistake on something now, it's not going to make any difference, you know? And so it's just a case of throw, throw your ball in life short and enjoy it, you know? And it is a very enjoyable topic to do. Do you think it's a certain type of person who becomes an archaeologist? I, I definitely do. Daft as a brush, yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? You notice that the archaeologists, they seem to get on with each other because a lot of them are... Well, they're made from the same piece of cloth. The vast majority have the most delightful eccentricities. Um, I don't think of it as being anything other than quirks and eccentricities. Oh, of course. Um, and that's what makes them actually 
I have met some of the absolutely dearest people who I imagine I'll probably be friends with for the rest of my life. Um, that's not to say we don't squabble. Sometimes we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've met people who feel essentially like family. Um, and I think that's the great thing, actually, about archaeology. So what's the point of archaeology? Tell the big story. What is the big story? The big story has to be the story of humanity, how we got here. The very persistence of humanity, I think, in many ways. For me, I'm always interested in... Maybe it's because I grew up during the height of the Troubles, but the thing which I think... I went into this thinking I was going to be Neolithic. (laughs) That was stupid. Um, (laughs) I ended up actually veering off towards the Iron Age. Mm -hmm. And I find myself either right up where I am at the moment with this, up against the transition of Iron Age into late or or early medieval, that very not to 400 AD, Um, or else the transition from late bronze into early Iron Age, because they're periods of chaos. And you have to think about... Whenever you've lived through chaos and you've lived through uh, seeing buildings destroyed, culture changes continually, I think actually that does give you an edge on what to look for, especially regarding stratigraphy. Mm -hmm. Um, Recently, close to my house, uh, there was a commercial company in a parkland. They were taking down um, part of a, a piece of land and underneath it was an old mansion, uh, which everybody knew was there. And you could see from the deep stratigraphy, you got actually the 1920s were during the Irish Civil War. The landowner, probably quite old at this stage, had literally a 20-foot wall around his house. Then by the 1940s, whenever it was used as a barracks for American soldiers and also British soldiers working together during World War II, there were in the spoil heap, you, you could see things like Lucky Strike cigarette packets. Again, a, different, a totally different stratigraphy. And then by the time 1969 came, where the whole area was actually being decimated with burnings, there was just this very deep layer of black, dark earth. And to me, that said, and there is the archaeology of basically civil war. Whenever you can actually look at something like that, in the modern context, within living memory, it gives you a really good idea of what to look at in the past. And that is, to me, the big story. How we persist, how we change, how cultures come in. And I personally find that the most exciting thing on the planet. <laughs> I can, I can, I, I, I'm totally with you there. I think one of the biggest things about archaeology versus history is that history is already almost created, whereas archaeology has the materiality of realness, of truthness, of... Yeah. Uh, you know, the way that we think about, you know, in our, as living beings, we can lie. We can lie forever right. until we die. And then, well, the bones, they can no longer lie. That's and exactly it. The Victor ways. writes the history books, but archaeology doesn't know it to anybody. It tells the truth. Exactly. And I love that integrity that comes actually with a good archaeology report because you can't mask anything, it's there. No, exactly. And that's yeah. why it's so critical for everybody in archaeology to be uh, critical of themselves and of other people. But Absolutely. a lot of the time, you know, um, I mean, I'm big on theory, but I know a lot of other people would uh, throw it to the side to kind of say, well, what's the point of it? I mean, I, I like, obviously, it's an old debate now, but I mean, would you, like, I, I'm very pro theory, very pro theory, love it, um, very influenced by thinkers like Foucault and so on and uh, how, how, what do you think of archaeological theory 
Not a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's the no. here's the breaking point here. Oh, here's oh, the breaking point. I know. Um, uh, interview's over. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's not. I find that sometimes you need a certain amount of it. Obviously, I actually recently discovered. I I veer closer to Marx's theory. I was actually shocked at that. It was a terrible, a lot of soul searching, (laughs) man. You know, I think actually, you know, when you get on the internet, these things like BuzzFeed, those wee quizzes. I think we need to do one for archaeology, which is what theory of archaeologist are you? And you know, I've I've steered quite close to Marx's theory, not only in archaeology but politically as well. Yeah, uh, uh, those uh, things. Yeah, well, uh, so yeah, that came as quite a shock. But I do think you need a certain amount of framework obviously to be able to put it within um, yeah. but I think sometimes it can go get a, a wee bit up itself um, and it's a case again it's like everything else about keeping a fine line between placing something within a workable th- uh, framework yeah. um, but also to keep common sense yeah no exactly although what common sense is is what's agreed to by the majority of society which often which usually isn't our heel yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we work for nothing and we no. love it and we say no give us more and that's that's actually one of the major issues is about the way um, that a lot of the time archaeology is dependent on free labour I mean um, have you done many archaeological digs have you worked in Not commercial ma- archaeology I, I've, I've done one commercial um, and I've mostly been actually involved, obviously, in here. Yeah. We've got calf. Yeah. And uh, also, I've sort of dabbled with other friends' excavations. Yeah. Um, I actually was with Stuart Rathbone, believe it or not. Oh, I was yeah. actually out in Achel, uh last summer, which was a great experience because Stuart's an incredibly, incredibly knowledgeable bloke and a, 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 top, a top chap, it has to be said. <laughs> um, but um, the, uh, I, I'm, I'm also a member of Unite, for archaeology, you're aware that Irish archaeology created, and uh, they responded to the fact that there was a less than a living wage was happening, and uh, the people who organised it, Gino Dowd, Matt Saver, etc., down in uh, the Republic of Ireland, and uh, I think I may have been actually the first Northern member they actually had, because I come uh, again in my previous job, I was yeah. a shop steward. Uh, I don't think people use that word nowadays, um, so I was like, no, first thing in. Definitely. Because, you know, whenever you spend this long studying and that long getting very cold and very wet, um, I would say the labourer deserves his wages. But obviously, um, at the moment, there's a lot of different uh, ways in which companies use people in archaeology and I don't want to particularly, uh, you know, burn our bridges or no. anything like that. And But I think there's uh, there's more can be done. I think there is. I've noticed actually very positive trends, but in England as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, from the Twitter side, you're watching various bits and bobs and being yeah. posted. And I think yeah. some of the discussions that are now opening yeah. are actually very, very productive. And they're very welcome for the industry. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you're quite um, active on Twitter and online. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. um, how do you feel that archaeology um, is on, on the online sphere? How do you, what do you, what's your We are horribly far behind uh, the paleo crowd. Uh, paleontologists, earth science people have really taken the bull by the horns. Um, I sort of straddle it, obviously, with Twilight Beasts as well and the blog with Jan and Ross. Uh, but so therefore I see both sides of the coin I try some people are very very good at it and some people miss the point I think that we need to show people that 
Yes, we're academics. Yes, we are peculiar academics because we do very physical things and very scientific things, but we're also people with big personalities, um, often very big personalities. <laughs> and uh, as such, um, you know, you would probably really enjoy working with us. And, you know, we might just be able to help you do the, your own groovy thing. And you be you, honey, as they say, <laughs> as the young say now it is. Um, but... Uh, some people just retweet and retweet and retweet. Um, and other people, uh, for example, I've noticed a friend down in, who's uh, over the Republic, uh, one of the uh, universities there, has become an absolute whiz. Um, I don't want to mention his name. No, no, it's okay. But, you know, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. <laughs> and he's really, really got the hang of this. And he's, his gentleness, his inherent gentleness as an individual, mm. actually comes over very strongly. And I think we need more voices like that as well. Because yeah. he's very human. Um, and he's not like, you know, you know... I think some things can put off whenever it's, you know, that only digging is archaeology. And I think they tend to shout louder than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but it's a huge things like dev archaeology. I love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you had lots and lots of people. It's tweeted everywhere. It's a wonderful platform, and it shows people, especially those maybe considering going in. It shows such what a wide school of thought it is, from sciences through to uh, archive work to digital to dig. the whole thing is right across. And I've never seen anything as being us and them. We're all literally bound together, uh, like uh, the artwork that I'm doing with the Ringerike and you yeah, know the yeah. Celtic stuff. <laughs> I hate using Celtic, but you know what oh, I mean. Oh, okay, it's okay, it's okay. Um, we'll, but uh, uh, forgive yeah, you so, for that. Yep, but that's sort of uh, everything's intertwined because we are. No, exactly, and um, I think it's actually amazing the people I've met, including yourself, over Twitter and how people just seem to be able to open up and I think that's really great. I mean, what would you say to somebody who's not really sure about using the Twitter too much or their online stuff? What, what, what's that kind of, what, what do you say to them? How, to, how can they become not just a retweeter but like a, an, how can they be yourself. Better? Just be yourself and try to keep negativity off as mm. much as everybody has a bad day yeah. and everybody goes like well there's a thing but try not to dwell on it because mm. there's so much negative out there oh, and it's not a really and remember that can also come back and bite you yeah. in the ass really am I allowed to say that? but it can come back and it can yeah. certainly affect uh, you know I don't, I'm not being cynical about this, but yeah. you want people to see the really happy side of yeah. you. Whenever you get, I mean, I know that whenever I'm in a ditch or whenever I'm, yeah. well, like Dunloose where I was neck deep in a 15th yeah. century, 16th century oh, toilet, no. um, I'm actually happy. This is oh. like, this is, yeah, yeah, I'm doing the thing. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever you uh, are doing that, you don't want people to think that you're sitting there going, oh, God, I don't want to do this. But you do. And I think it has to come across because especially you do tend as whenever you're on excavations you are working very close mm -hmm. with each other in a lab you're working very close with people and i think that interpersonal skills is a very very useful thing to have and nobody needs really any aggro from other people yeah. uh, as much as possible mm -hmm. and you want to show that side of you actually on social media as a whole 
Yeah. Um, so I make it a point that no matter what I've had to drink, I don't post if I've had a drink, um, because that could get very, very oh naughty. Dear. I would get, I would get frisky more than anything. Oh dear! Um, I would kick you right. This no, is I'm, getting dangerous. I, no, this. I would become a bad thing. So I would, um, <laughs> and uh, people maybe wouldn't get my sense of humour, um, and uh, because I have an awful carry-on type sense of humour. Oh I'm dear! Afraid, but, oh dear! Uh, but uh, never, never, ever tweet when you're drunk. Um, uh, never tweet whenever you're absolutely furious. Uh, yeah. Just go under video silence at that stage, and <laughs> you'll be grand. You'll be grand. Uh, I just want to pick up on just finally on you talking about Twilight Beasts. Now, yeah. this is a, a blog run by yourself and who was it as well? Ross Burnett, who mm-hmm. is ex of Oxford and Durham, and uh, John Friedman, who's the curator of, I think it's the Bristol, isn't it? It is I Bristol, think, isn't I it? I think it's Bristol. Or Southampton I'll, as well. I'll double check. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, both of them, we met on Twitter, believe mm-hmm. it or not. We were introduced by an ex-lecturer of mine uh, on social media. We got on like a house and fire and we actually, uh, maybe this is actually contradicts what I've just said about don't uh, tweet whenever you're, you're drinking. Uh, there, I was one holiday time and it was something that I forget what it was, mm-hmm. but the whole idea, um, my daughter, yes it was my birthday, I remember now, and my daughter had bought me um, a Megatherium t-shirt um, and off Red Bull or somebody like this, <laughs> uh, one of these funky uh, science t-shirts. And because uh, I was doing a lot of megafauna in that module that I was doing at that stage. And uh, we got talking about this T-shirt. And Ross then went, I've got a Megatherium T-shirt as well. And then Jan was like, and I have toys! And we discovered we shared a deep, abiding, passionate love for all things Pleistocene. Um, although I also like Miocene, but we won't talk about that. Oh, okay, um, yeah, that sounds yes. a wee bit kinky like there. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I do like Miocene animals. I'm sorry, because they're absolutely nuts. Um, and uh, because... I was very much into, and still am, obviously, into the, the science side of stuff, the biology side of it. And um, we said, what if we made a blog? And we did, like, a, a beast of the week. And then there was a girl that uh, Lorna Richardson's uh, bloke, Matt Pope, yeah. knew. Uh, he was teaching. He says, I know a good illustrator. And before he knew it, we had a blog out. Now, it's sort of just... I don't know what happened after that. But the next thing is, we kept getting freshly pressed, recommended, and then there was all sorts of offers to go and write for other people. And uh, then there was even... Uh, some were tossing about at the moment. There's an interesting more commercial idea that might be in the pipeline, uh, but we're open to suggestions on that one. That we'd like to control, because we've got lovely readers. Yeah. and ha- They're fun. And whenever people, for me especially, would say that they sat and they opened the computer and they showed their kids the pictures of the animals and they read to them uh, for bedtime. And I went like, yeah, that's what it's all about. Because we're very approachable and we're mm-hmm. Egypts and we have a lot of fun with us. So, uh, yeah, it's it's Twilight Beast has been a shocking thing. We thought, actually, it was going to be about three people reading it per week. Yeah. Uh, and instead, we just hit... The 100,000 mark of readers in one year. Oh, fantastic. Uh, We have on the blog spot, I think it's blog spot, Ron, on the actual blog itself, uh, we have over 8,000, 9,000 subscribers. Excellent. And it's just growing non-stop. 
And we've taken guest posts as well, so it's great fun. And uh, just finally, now I know that I said that was my final question, but this is now my final question. So if somebody was wanting to study archaeology and um, knowing what you know now, what would, you, what would you have liked to know before you started studying? I think from PhD side, uh, from archaeology as a whole, yeah. archaeology as a whole, throw yourself in and just be you because you'll find your way, you'll find your tribe. Um, it's one of those funny things. Um, everybody finds their own tribe in this, and they will be literally extended family. Uh, they are the people who'll get you through. Whenever I thought it was only about from PhD side, PhD is a very, very solitary journey, and it's the tribe that you meet on the way that actually will support you, and will be there, and will be walking with you. That's why I say that they are family without actually being yeah. born into. But anybody want to do archaeology just go and do it it's great jump in <laughs> do it yeah that's excellent thank you so much i've really appreciated this. very much my very much my pleasure the crm archaeology podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM ARC podcast. Let's get back to the show. Today I am talking to Svetlana, Svetlana, who is a researcher here at the Queen's University Belfast. Mm -hmm. Now, um, thank you for coming to talk to me. And I'm just wondering, first off, why Queen's? Why did you come here? Well, there were maybe like a couple of reasons. First of all, my supervisor with, with whom I've been making my PhD here, she worked a lot in Russia. And she was very knowledgeable about about what became later as my PhD. So basically, we had some like I had some connections with her before, and it was pretty like logical, pretty <clears throat> well, pretty straightforward. I came here just straight after I finished my degree. In, I'm from Saint Petersburg. I'm from Russia. So just within a couple of months, happened to be here for for, for PhD. It's actually it was. Ten and a half years ago. Wow. Exactly. So. So, what exactly is the research that you do? I well, I started my PhD. I have to do, I have to say that my PhD it was actually a bit of change of not career, but it was a bit of change from what I was doing before. I mean, my dissertation back at back in Saint Petersburg dissertation is something equal to master's degree here. It was completely different to what I'm doing here, so it was quite a quite a change. And what I'm doing here is, um, well, not just me, maybe the whole center. We are dating past people, so past populations, past cultures. So it's radiocarbon dating. And what I'm particularly focused is what's called stable isotope analysis. It's something which gives you information about diet of ancient people. So we are trying to understand diet, and based on this, changes in economy, changes in their lifestyle, and, well, many things. 
yeah, but so it's, it's, it's called paleo dietary analysis. Perfect. So that's <clears> stuff <throat> like carbon nitrogen yes, uh, ratios. Yes, yes, that's what it's it like is. <laughs> I just loaded another twenty samples. Really? This, yes. That's so really cool. I, I studied chemistry just, and archaeology at uh, well, that's university, something. so I'm I'm personally quite familiar with that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I must say it is something that's really really cool. It's mm. it's this kind of um, way of looking into the past that's something you can actually analyze you know yeah. and yeah, but i mean so. um i mean what's it like being able to work in a lab as opposed to a lot of the other archaeologists are doing a yes. lot of reading and doing yes. a lot of digging yeah. do you get to dig i used to work as a field archaeologist for 10 years actually but now for past seasons i haven't been visiting my Expedition. Actually, I have been working in Crimea, in several sites of Crimea for, well, for 10 years. So at the moment, I'm not doing much of field work. Well, I would say, unfortunately, maybe. But yes, at the moment, as most of work is in laboratory, sometimes it gets a bit, well, maybe because I'm trying to sometimes do it very intensively, it kind of, well, I can't say that it's difficult, but it's sometimes it gets a bit... It's repetitive, yeah. Yes, repetitive. It is. It is. I'm, so, but, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite interested. What's archaeology in Russia like? Because that's where you did your degree. No, hey, that's you? where. Well, okay. that, that's what I'm saying. I only started ah, archaeology when I came here. here okay. Back in Russia, um, well, my specialization it was supposed to be. I was supposed to be a specialist on sources of Russian history. So it's somebody who works in libraries and in archives, working with written sources mostly. That's something my diploma was on and it's something I like started, something I was doing for five years. But then I realized I was, to be honest, I was a bit bored in archives <laughs> and in libraries as well. Because I remember those who were studying archaeology, they would go in summer to fancy places to dig, and we were just stuck in archive, in dusty archive for the whole summer. So I wasn't, I wasn't perfectly happy with this. And then I happened to be very occasionally, I happened to be in expedition, just as some assistant, just as a digger. And I basically, I fell in love with skeleton, skeletons there. And it was in my third year at university. And just after that, I started very intensively study anthropology, like physical anthropology. And that's how I happened to continue with it, working with bones. But my first degree, it wasn't anyhow related to archaeology. And actually, one of my maybe problems at the moment that I don't have like proper archaeological background as such. I have background in sources of Russian history, but not archaeology as such. Okay. So it's something I have to do it like complementary myself. So obviously um, you work on carbon dating and, well, roughly yes. carbon dating yes. isotope analysis. What are the problems that you encounter when you're doing that kind of analysis? What kind of things do come up that you have to deal with every day? Well, every day is difficult different it's not something something routinely i'm doing from day to day but maybe my main like well struggle or main challenge at the moment is that see this stabilized top analysis it's not popular not that it's popular but it, it's nearly nearly doesn't exist in russia there are just few like maybe about three or four people who are doing this but what I mean to say is that there is no comparative database, or not, not many comparative materials. And sometimes when I get all my results, I just stuck 
of their meaning. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't properly. Maybe I understand what they mean because, as I'm saying, there is no many. There is not much of comparative database. So sometimes they're just getting confusing, and it costs me a lot of time and <laughs> night <Yeah>. thinking <laughs> to understand just what is it. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to ask. I mean, now you do kind of do archaeology. What? What one thing uh, for somebody maybe starting archaeology? What 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 thing would you've liked to have known about archaeology before you started? See, archaeology is so diverse because even what I'm doing is not pure archaeology; it's more like physical anthropology, and which is it's it's diverse. What I would know to like to know like, about archaeology before you started, like what surprised you the most? See, that's a tough one. If I, I just remember it. <laughs> what surprised me? Well, as I say, I, I was just in love with skeletons. So whatever piece of information I was getting about them, it was a total surprise and it was very interesting for me. Mm, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I just okay. At the moment, I can't think, think of anything particular. <laughs> no, that's okay. Surprises. So, Maybe oh, sometimes what surprises me, it shouldn't surprise, but it does, is that... Mm, archaeologists sometimes deal with such well to my maybe a bit mm. narrow mind so small things and tiny 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 items and they manage to make like big nearly <laughs> well I wouldn't say global but some mm -hmm. um, like big conclusions about it because that's something I observed when I was working in expedition something I couldn't understand like some tiny thing piece of glass would be found and there would be the whole hustle about it <laughs> There's something I was sitting in the corner of my grave and you know, yeah. I was working and it's something I could never <laughs> understand. But it's maybe because my my main interest wouldn't be anyhow related with, uh, well, with anything apart of from bones, basically. And um, just um, like, do you have any, do you do any online stuff like uh, archaeology? Do you... Sorry, do you do? <laughs> do you do kind of things like? Uh, do you have a Twitter? Do you have a blog? Do you any do anything like uh, that? I don't. I don't give much to internet. I have to say. I mean, I'm taking a lot from it, but it's not. No, I don't have a blog. In in short, I have my Facebook, where just it's half private things, half maybe scientific there, but not. I'm not putting much of scientific stuff there. Although I mean, I'm, I'm kind of advertising my own papers there. Mm. But it's not. No, I'm not. I'm not like exposing or telling much about mm. what I'm doing. Not online. No. Well, in private, well, yeah. a lot in private communication, especially for Russian people who, very often, they don't have any chance to get much information. So it's something I'm doing quite often, just explaining the whole theory by typing it to friends or colleagues. But why are you asking? Oh, <laughs> I just, I, just I usually a lot of people have uh, online presences, and sometimes it's good to kind of be able to for them yeah. to like talk about yeah. that. But that's really cool, actually. I, I um, that's that's really all the questions I have, you know. And um, usually, you know, people say, "Oh, this is my blog," and that. That's. Like I, I mean, I am online, yeah, yeah. but I'm not particularly active. talking about. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm active in my. Private, yeah. like yeah. family of the <laughs> no, friends, exactly, but not work wise, yeah. not much. That's no. that's not, that's fine. I mean, a lot, the thing is, I I'm almost exclusively active, just right. doing this and everything. Right. 
But uh, thank you very much for sitting down with me. It's been really, really good to speak to you. Very interesting for you as well. I know. Uh, it's been great. Thank you very much. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.